Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Andrew Brewer. He is a seasoned real estate professional and co-founded Distance 3 Development before launching Iron Gale Investments in 2017. And with diverse expertise in real estate, he led Iron Gale Investments into multifamily, townhome, and single-family home ventures. And beyond real estate, he holds a top-tier A-ranking in competitive EP fencing, ranking 34th in the USA's senior men's category in the 2020 Olympic trials. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So Andrew, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, definitely. So I did not grow up in you know an, an entrepreneurial family or, or anything like that. Um, I was really introduced to real estate by uh, my wife, who I met about 10 years ago. Um, so she's kind of the one that, that got me started in real estate, although it, you know, it didn't happen immediately. We met when when I was in college and, you know, I finished college. I was working the whole time, saving money, uh, trying to figure out, you know, some avenue of investing to get into. Um, once I graduated college, uh, my first, I'll say, professional job out of college was as a stationary engineer. Uh, so a, a stationary engineer is an applied engineer that works in a stationary building as opposed to uh, marine engineering where you know, you're on a boat maintaining the same kind of systems. Um, so I was in California at that time, born and raised in the Bay Area. Um, I had gone to, to LA for uh, to go to UCLA to finish my undergrad. And I moved back to San Jose. Um, so I was working in the tallest building in San Jose. I worked there for about four years, uh, maintaining the building systems. Um, also uh, was involved as a consultant on a construction defect litigation lawsuit and uh commercial reconstruction projects at that time so you know i had this interesting mix of experience through my w2 position um and then i also began investing in real estate on the side um you know with encouragement from my wife you know we were investing together um since we were in san jose young just kind of out of college didn't really have the money to really invest in the bay area um, and, you know, was also pretty busy with my job at the time. So uh, we began buying small properties out of state. We were focusing on the Kansas City market. Uh, so buying you know, single family homes, small multifamily um, to, you know, buy, rehab and rent. Um, kind of realized pretty quickly that that wasn't the path for me. Um, you know, not really where I wanted to focus. Wasn't, you know, really enjoying that. Uh, and also wasn't seeing, you know, the returns that I was hoping for. You know, I reached kind of a natural stopping point at, you know, my job in San Jose. We had, you know, we had wrapped up a lawsuit um, and, you know, reconstruction projects. So there's kind of a just a natural ending point where I could step away. Um, so, you know, I took the, the knowledge that I gained from my W-2 position, combined that with the knowledge that I had just investing on my own, which, you know, had given me a 
um, you know, an idea for how to, you know, how to source deals, how an investor would look at deals, uh, what returns should be, how lending works, like all those types of things. Um, and I really just stuck those two skill sets together uh, to found Iron Gall Investments, uh, which is my development company. I moved out to Austin, Texas around that time. I have a lot of family here in Austin. Um, and Austin's also, uh, you know, a growing market um, and started developing properties here. And, you know, a little, little while after I got here, um, I also co-founded Distance 3 Development, which is based out of San Antonio uh, with two partners. So, you know, I kind of have those two companies that I'm working on now, focusing on the Austin and San Antonio markets, doing uh, development of multifamily townhomes and single family home subdivisions, and then also purchasing properties just, you know, to hold for cash flow. Uh, so I have a portfolio of existing assets now primarily in the mobile home and rv spaces so i own a number of uh, mobile home and rv parks all around austin san antonio so that's kind of that's kind of my background there and, and where i'm at at the current moment so andrew going back a little bit uh when you were just starting out with your real estate investments you said that you were while you were living in san jose you decided to invest out of state into Kansas City. Yep. One, how did you come to the conclusion or how did you decide and get comfortable with investing outside of California? And then two, why Kansas City at that time? So investing out of state at that time was really, you know, just kind of out of necessity. I didn't have the money to invest in California. Um, and also what I was seeing from California properties at that time was not a lot of cash flow. You know, this was around 2016 to 2018 that I was doing that. So the market was was getting really hot in the Bay Area. You know, a lot of people were buying with negative cash flow, um, just you know, betting on appreciation. I knew a lot of people that were buying duplexes or single family homes and renting them out and saying, you know, you know, the equation would be something like this. Like, I'm going to buy this house at this price. It's not going to cash flow because my mortgage is, you know, whatever it is. And I can, I can rent it for less than that. I'm going to negative cash flow on this property, let's say $2,000 a month. So, you know, I'm losing 24,000, you know, something like that on the property each year. But if I hold the property for three years and it appreciates $200,000, well, I can sell it and then I'm making a lot of money. I may have lost $50,000, $75,000, but that's all a tax write off. You know, the Bay Area has a lot of tech. So it's a lot of people with high W 2 tech jobs where, you know, they're getting, you know, it's a W-2 job. So they're getting taxed at a really high rate. So having those write-offs, the negative cash flow, that actually helps bring their taxable income down. Um, but then they can still sell at a later date and still make a lot of money. You know, if you can make 200K, but you lost 75, I mean, you're still coming out 125K. Um, you know, that that's still, or that can be a win there. So I was just, I was getting outbid by a lot of people that were running those kinds of calculations. Um, you know, I was working as an engineer, but, you know, my salary wasn't really high. You know, I wasn't making six figures or multiple six figures. So I couldn't afford to, you know, to sit there and like lose money every month and float another property. So that, you know, that just didn't really work for me, but I knew I wanted to get into real estate and begin investing. I didn't just want to, you know, sit there and, you know, oh, maybe the market will cool off in three years and there will be a drop and then I can buy something. I, I didn't want to wait 
like that because I had already made that mistake earlier on when I was in college. You know, my first foray into investing was in the stock market. And I actually held off on investing for a couple of years because, you know, I was hearing, you know, like, oh, you know, the, the bull market's getting really long, the market's going to drop, you know, there's all of these indicators in the stock market, there's about to be a huge crash, like, you know, all of this kind of doomsday stuff, which I know now is just always out there. Like, there's always some guy saying that no matter where the market's at. Um, but, you know, I, I missed out on some time because I was like, well, I don't want to invest right before a crash. Like, I'll wait for the crash and then I'll buy when it's low. And, but that never happened. And, and I realized after a couple of years, like, oh man, if I had invested a couple of years ago, like, well, I would have made some money. Instead, I've just been like sitting here, you know, my money's, I guess inflation wasn't very high then. So, you know, but it's like, I, I have the same amount of money I could have, you know, made 10, 20, whatever percent. So I didn't want to just, you know, keep waiting, hoping for a market crash. You know, they say the the best time to buy real estate was was yesterday. The second best time is today, right? So I knew I needed to find a way to get into you know real estate somehow. Couldn't afford to do it in the Bay Area. It didn't make sense for me, or the avenues that I was seeing making it available there weren't right for me at the time. I also didn't have the time with my job to go out and spend all of my time looking for properties to find maybe that one property that would cash flow. Like I just you know my time was too constrained, so I needed to do something else. So I was like, all right, let me look out of state. Um, the first thing that I did was, you know, look for markets that I already had some some familiarity with that also were cash flow markets, because that was what I was targeting at that time. And my grandparents lived in Kansas City for a long time. So that was one of the markets that was on my list of, you know, places that I could potentially invest in. Austin was another one at that time, but you know, I decided Kansas City was going to fit my needs a bit more. Um, and, you know, Kansas City was really starting to, you know, heat up around that time. So I thought it might be a good opportunity or a good time to get into Kansas City. Um, it's a short plane ride from the Bay Area. Uh, my wife's best friend from high school lived there at the time. She was in school. I knew the city a bit because my grandparents had lived there. There were good economic indicators. Uh, there was an affordable or, you know, I could find properties at an affordable price for me. And so just the combination of all those factors made it, I guess, the right market at the time, I felt like. Um, so that's that's why I jumped into that market instead of staying in my local market. So then you bought the property in Kansas City and you said that you bought it to rehab it and then to rent it out. Um, with your time constraint in your full-time job, how were you able to manage like the renovation projects and then renting it out and then managing the property all on your own? So that's part of why I realized that out-of-state investing wasn't for me. So I bought several properties there. Um, you know, I, I did make money overall, but it was really challenging. You know, and, and what I learned was the very successful people that I know that invest out-of-state, they have a team built out-of-state. They have flexibility, you know, in their jobs or their lives to be able to visit their properties out-of-state if needed, or at least to visit the market multiple times before they start buying in order to build that team. You know, like, you know, I, I knew people that were investing not just in Kansas City, but, you know, a lot of people in California invest out of state. And they would spend, you know, a process of months to, to years flying to a market, maybe once a month or something, meeting with, you know, brokers, handymen, contractors, uh, you know, title agents, lenders, whoever it is in that market to build their team. And then they would pull the trigger. Um, and that doing that kind of doing that kind of work up front 
allowed more success later. Now, I had a lot of time constraints in my job and I had budget constraints. I wasn't able to just, you know, fly out to Kansas City multiple times, you know, once every month, once every couple months to do that kind of work. So for me, I, you know, I went out there a couple of times. I, you know, I met some folks. I tried to set up a team, but, you know, just what I found is managing from out of state is very hard, especially when you're trying to do it yourself because contractors know that you're not there. They know that, hey, if you're, you know, whatever thing it is breaks, your HVAC goes out, you know, your toilet breaks or something, they can kind of charge you whatever they want because, I mean, you're out of state. Like, what are you going to do? Like, go over there and shut the water off yourself? Call, you know, somebody else that may or may not have time. Like, you know, this is your team member. This is your handyman. They should be able to take care of it. But when they start, you know, trying to price gouge you because they can, like, those were the kinds of things that I saw. Tenants also know, like, hey, like, this person's not in the area. Like, you know, they're not watching as closely, you know, or they don't have the ability to respond as quickly. You know, there, there were just a lot of challenges there. And I wasn't in a good position in my, you know, I guess, outside of real estate life um, to be able to manage as effectively as as I would have needed to, to really grow that business in Kansas City. So I just, you know, I kind of made that decision of like, I don't think this is for me. Um, I sold off, you know, the properties that I had. I mean, I know a lot of people that have success doing that. And, you know, and that's awesome. Just didn't really work out for me. How did you come to the conclusion later on or walk us through like what your thought process was as you made the decision when you came back to San Jose, um, decided to leave your engineering job, couple that with your experience in real estate, and then pack up everything and move to Austin to start a real estate company? Yeah. So I was, um, I kind of hit a, a critical juncture point, um, you know, a couple years into my job where, you know, I, I was taking classes to, you know, get, you know, certain facilities, uh, maintenance certifications. And, you know, and I was, I had the opportunity to move to other jobs um, that would have paid me more. And that would have allowed me to move up as a stationary engineer into, you know, positions with better pay, better responsibilities, all that. And I kind of had to make this choice of like, okay, am I going to focus on that path? And that's where I'm going to put my energy? Or am I going to kind of stay on the current path? And the job that I was in was, um, you know, I was working a lot, but it was manageable. I did have some time outside of it. And I had a very understanding boss. I'll say that as well. Like he he knew that I was in, he was a friend of mine prior to this. Um, you know, he knew that, you know, I probably wasn't going to stay in the field forever, that I was trying to, you know, kind of start my own company and do something entrepreneurial there. And he was very supportive of that. You know, he was just kind of like, look, as you know, while you're employed here, as long as your job is, you know, your number one priority while you're on the clock here, like, that's fine. You know, he was just kind of like, I don't really care what you do outside of that. Just know that when you're here, when you're on the clock, this is your number one priority. And he was very supportive outside of that, which, you know, which was great for me. So I decided to stay in that job for a couple more years to build up my savings, build up my knowledge base, make connections. And so I kind of made that decision of like, I'm going to focus on trying to, to keep doing real estate and sacrifice, you know, at least, you know, some short term gains in, you know, what could be a career. Um, when it came time to actually leave my job, you know, I, I knew that you know, these projects that I was working on would be wrapping up at a certain point. And so I knew that there would be a time at which I could make a very graceful exit. Um, 
but I, you know, I was very nervous about that. You know, I didn't really grow up in in an entrepreneurial family. You know, I'd always kind of heard that small business is really hard. You, you know, you're just working all the time. There's all of this risk. You know, you could lose everything. You know, invest all your money in a business, and it's just like goes up in smoke. So I was very nervous about that. But you know, my wife was very encouraging about that. You know, I, I talked to her about it a lot. You know, there are a lot of conversations of like, hey, you know, we have a certain amount of savings. We have you know, a certain amount of income from other investments, but like, what happens if this dries up? What happens if I can't get stuff, you know, moving and, you know, get the business going and cash flowing before we like run out of savings? Like, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if was always in my head. And, you know, and quite frankly, she was just like, you know what, like, this is going to be the best thing, you know, for us and our family, like we should just go for it. And if we fail, like, I guess we fail and we'll, you know, we'll figure out what to do. Like we're young, you know, I was... How old was I at that time? You know, I was in my mid twenties. You know, it's just like you know, we're in our twenties. Like, if we kind of lose everything right now, like you know, we're smart, we're resourceful. You know, we we can bounce back for it. So let's take the risk now um, and just do it. Um, and so I I have a lot of family in Austin. Again, I, I applied the same kind of you know research metrics I had to Kansas City to Austin, you know, kind of came back to that, you know, I've got, you know, aunts and uncles, cousins here. Um, my mom and dad live here at this point, although, you know, they move closer to when I did. Um, my grandparents are here. So I have a big family base here in Austin. Um, I also know Austin is, or, you know, at the time I knew Austin was a growing market. There was a lot of opportunity. I started to, you know, as I dug deeper into the market, realized that, you know, Austin itself had seen a lot of appreciation and a lot of growth. Um, but there were still a lot of opportunity um, in surrounding towns outside of Austin. So, you know, places like, you know, Cedar Park, Leander, Round Rock, Pflugerville, Georgetown, you know, Kyle, Buda, Maynard, like, you know, all of these little um, suburbs that surround Austin, there's a lot of opportunity there. And that's where I was going to focus. Um, so, you know, living in the Bay Area is is not easy when you're just out of school, you know, and, and not really established in your career. Um, you know, it's really expensive. Typically, you're not making a lot of money early on in your career. So it wasn't a, a huge thing for, for us to pack up and leave because, you know, you know, at my house now, you know, I, I bought a big house in um, just outside of Austin. And, you know, my mortgage on this or, you know, or my combination between you know my mortgage and property taxes and everything is like as much as I was paying for our apartment in San Jose, you know. And so for me, I'm like, well, I could have a two bedroom apartment in San Jose, or I could have a seven bedroom house, you know, in Austin. So that was that was a pretty easy decision to make, you know, especially because I was going to be leaving my job to do it. It's like, hey, I'm not tied to this, regardless of whether I stay in the Bay Area or not. I'm going to leave this job so that I can really focus full time on starting this company that frees me up to kind of move wherever the opportunity is. So, you know, we just followed the opportunity really. Yeah. It's really important, especially when you're trying to grow or start a new venture or just in life to have a supporting partner who is on the same page and just with you hundred percent encouraging you to, you know, do what you think is best for yourself, for the family. Um, when you're kind of on two different pages, it's hard to move so much faster than what you're anticipating or to get things done uh, when you have that roadblock between communications between the two partners. So it's really nice to hear that uh, your wife was so supportive and was just willing to go along and just take that risk with you and and see where you guys could go. Um, 
for you, Andrew, when you first got to Austin, then what did you do to get that first development project underway? How did you start building up your team? How did you find the deal? What did you evaluate on that first development project? Um, so on the first, the first development project I did was, was really small. It was a, a duplex uh, project here in Austin. I wanted to just start with something very small to, you know, to kind of get an idea of how the market worked. Um, I started going to, you know, real estate meetups, connecting with people, you know, in online communities that, that I was a part of, um, to try to build up my team, you know, getting references, you know, meeting with, you know, with, with anyone that I could, uh, to try to, you know, get a foothold in the market. And, you know, that worked fairly well. I was able to, you know, identify, you know, this deal through a local wholesaler. Um, you know, I, I vetted the deal. It worked out. I connected with a local contractor, you know, put that deal together uh, and, you know, got moving on it. We ran into some hiccups in the deal, um, you know, mostly due to my, um, well, I would say entirely due to, you know, to my partner who is a contractor. Um, and, you know, kind of long story short, he wasn't able to complete the project. Um, so that, that was an issue. Um, and so, you know, once I kind of hit those, that issue, I started, you know, again, like continuing to reach out to, uh, you know, this network that I had formed, um, you know, I, you know, kind of asking for recommendations like, Hey, this is a problem I've run into. You know, I'm I'm looking for a solution. Who can I talk to? I met with a lot of people, um, and I ended up connecting with um, one of my current development partners. Just you know, I think through uh, through a Facebook group for like you know Austin real estate investing or something. You know, basically kind of putting out there like, hey, I'm having this issue. Does anyone have experience with this? Um, you know, and he just kind of hit me up and was like, hey, like, you know, I don't have any exact experience with that, but here's some ideas that, you know, that I would do. Maybe you can try some of this. Um, and we just got to talking and really hit it off. Um, that first project, you know, didn't, didn't end up going great. I lost some money on that. Um, you know, it was completely self-funded. I had sold my portfolio in Kansas City. So I was trying to redeploy my capital into Austin. So, I, you know, I lost some of it on that deal. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, you know, it wasn't crazy amount or anything. Like it didn't destroy me. Um, but you know, really I, I look at that and think like, okay, but through that project I met, you know, my development partner who's, you know, his name is Rick, and we, you know, we're just kind of like, hey, like, you know, this, you know, weren't able to like really save this deal, but really like working together, you know, this has been, you know, a great experience. Why don't we try to do some deals together? And so we started looking for, you know, for some projects to do. Um, and started vetting deals together. We we found out that we had very complementary skill sets. You know, I didn't have um, you know direct ground up experience at that point. You know, my experience was in redevelopment because that's the type of projects that I've been managing in the Bay Area. Um, his experience was with ground up development though, because his parents owned a spec home building company, so he kind of grown up knowing that process of like, yeah, you can like buy land, you can subdivide it, you have to get it entitled, you have to get, you know, construction documents done, there's a whole approval process, and then you can build stuff, and then you can sell it or rent it. So he knew that very well, um, but on a much smaller scale. So, and, you know, and, and the process is basically the same, whether you're, you know, buying an acre and subdividing it into like four lots and building four houses, or whether you're buying, you know, 100 acres and building some master plan community, 
it's the same approval process. Um, the specifics are a little bit different, but the steps are basically the same. So just my experience working with large commercial projects and his experience with, um, you know, land entitlement and development, you know, we kind of put those together and found out like, hey, we've got, you know, a really complete skill set here. And so we just started, you know, doing doing projects from there together and, and you know, putting deals together. Um, you know, we syndicated um, some of those. And then through that, I, you know, I met more people, you know, my kind of the way I've done projects is, you know, I go out and, you know, I'll find, you know, land, I will, you know, do all the due diligence myself, I'll put up, you know, all the costs for earnest money and studies and preliminary engineering and all of that. And once I'm, you know, sure that I have a viable project, I will take that out to larger groups, you know, and you're just like, hey, I have this project, I'm looking for, you know, equity, a key principle, you know, whatever it is I need, um, which, you know, in the beginning was quite a lot. Um, you know, just saying, hey, you know, would you like to partner up on this deal? I've got this experience. This is what I can bring to the table. Certain amount of development experience. You know, I've got, you know, the land. I've put this amount of money into it already. Can you, you know, come in and, and help fill everything else in? Um, and, you know, had just a lot of success doing that. So, you know, did that and, you know, it just kind of grew from there. Um, I ended up connecting with my partners in distance three development. We were all um, consulting at a company here in Austin. I did some independent consulting to, um, you know, to bolster my income a little bit while I was trying to get stuff started. Um, three of us kind of, you know, really hit it off and realized that we worked really well together. Um, they're originally from San Antonio. So we decided to start another company in San Antonio that would focus on um, development deals and, and cash flow deals also. And and I've just kind of run with with those two companies now and just basically continuing the same way that I've been doing it for the last you know little bit. Um, I think I've identified a you know kind of a formula that that works for me. How do you see the market, the real estate market transitioning or headed towards in Austin and San Antonio? And do you still uh, see continued growth and opportunities uh, within those markets for real estate and particularly in your field of focus? I definitely do. Um, you know, Austin was growing a little bit too fast, in my opinion, for a couple of years there, you know, between, you know, the tail end of 2020 and beginning of 2022. It was just, it, it was almost too hot to touch, which, um, you know, it's that that's not really a good thing, right? Because then, you know, you end up kind of hitting some bumps, um, which is which is what I see happening in the Austin market right now. Um, we've definitely seen, you know, some pullback in the Austin market, you know, prices have dropped, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe 10% or so. Um, and, you know, it's very dependent on, you know, which part of the Austin market you're in. Um, but, you know, to me, what I see is just, you know, either uh, a temporary pullback or a small correction, or even just um, people coming back down to reality. Um, you know, for a while there, we were seeing people, you know, they, they would put their house on the market. Um, you know, let's say they put their house on the market for, you know, 500K and the property's worth, you know, 500K, right? Um, they would get, you know, an offer, 100K over ask, all cash. Um, and the property would close, like the appraisers couldn't even keep up with how much properties were selling for. Now, you know, 
if you, you know, but then people started just listing their properties for a crazy amount. So like then instead of listing a property for 500K that's worth 500K, you started seeing properties listed for like 600, 650, 750 that are only worth 500K. Appraisals would come back and say, no, it's only worth, you know, 500 or 550 or whatever. You have to pay the difference in cash and people would do it. Now, what I'm seeing now is, well, people still list their properties way higher than what they're worth. But then, you know, the market's constricted, so there's not a bunch of buyers. People aren't willing to pay 100K over ask all cash. So if somebody lists their property for, you know, 150, 200K over what it's worth, and then they do a price reduction down 100K to get it more within the actual valuation, and then somebody buys it at that point, it's like, is that really a price drop or is that just getting it to accurate pricing? Um so that's a lot of what I'm seeing in the market. It's just stuff is is really stabilizing. Um, and there are some areas that were, you know, a little bit overbuilt and and those are seeing some slight corrections. Um, but you know, when when you've got, you know, properties or or neighborhoods that, you know, appreciate 80, 100, 150% over, you know, a one or two year period, but then you have a pullback of 10%, like you're not really losing a lot, you know, like I would argue it never should have gotten that high to begin with. It's just, you know, it's, it's a stabilization there. That's really what I see happening in Austin. Like all of these, you know, doomsday things like, Oh my God, the entire market's going to collapse. I don't really see that happening. Um, there is some struggle going on in downtown Austin right now with vacant um, office space that has to do more with, you know, the, the work from home, you know, as, as that's, becoming permanent. Um, there's a lot of office developers that, you know, perhaps are a little overzealous on developing office space in downtown Austin. They're kind of struggling now. There are some pockets where multifamily got really overdeveloped, you know, where I am in North Austin, Pflugerville area. You know, I think there's, you know, several thousand apartment units coming online in the next couple of years. And, and there's simply not enough people in this pocket of the market to absorb that. Um, so, you know, we'll likely see, uh, some rent stagnation in this area for a little while. Um, there are other pockets of the market that are still, you know, growing really strong. You know, I'm, I'm doing a property up in Georgetown. Georgetown is still, you know, it's still really growing. Um, so, you know, real estate is, it can be very hyper-local even within an MSA. You know, there can be pockets where you're seeing a correction and then other pockets in the same market that are still seeing appreciation. So it's just really important to get very granular about where you're looking. And that's what I'm doing to make sure that, you know, I'm only taking on viable projects that, you know, I'm not putting anyone's money at risk, including my own. Um, so I think that, you know, we're going to see some tremors in the Austin market continuing over the next couple of years, as stuff stabilizes. But I do think that the overall trend is up for Austin. You know, this is still a place where a lot of people are moving. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on right here. You know, a lot of major companies have come into Austin, companies like Samsung, um, Tesla, you know, I think Oracle recently put something else here. Um, and those large companies aren't just going to like pack up and leave. Um, Samsung in particular, which has been a, a huge a factory that's going in in Taylor, which is, um, you know, a, a market just kind of north of Austin within the Austin MSA. I mean, that's all being pushed by the government, you know, because of the issue with, you know, China and Taiwan, US government's really trying to get chip manufacturing here in the United States so that, you know, we're not vulnerable to any geopolitical tensions around China. So, 
you know, Samsung's got a lot of government support. They've invested a lot of money. They're not just going to pack up and leave and like go away. Like they're committed to finishing that here. That's a lot of jobs coming in. Um, same thing with Tesla. You know, there's been some issues, you know, Tesla stock is down and issues around Elon Musk personally and stuff. But but Tesla as a company isn't just going to abandon this gigafactory that they just built and like walk away. You know, they're here. They've committed to building um, a presence and jobs here. And I think that's going to continue for a lot of these companies. And, and that's going to draw people in. So, you know, short term tremors, long term growth. Um, same thing with San Antonio. There's a lot of companies that are interested in San Antonio that are putting um, you know, headquarters, regional headquarters um, in San Antonio, expanding their populations, expanding in San Antonio. Some of that is spillover from Austin as Austin's gotten really overheated and expensive. You know, individuals and companies have started looking to San Antonio saying like, hey, I can get office space for half the price. I can get a house for half the price. I'm only an hour and a half away from Austin. Um, so San Antonio is seeing a lot of growth there. I mean, it's also a very large city, it's the seventh largest city in the country. So you know, there's, there is good growth there as well. Um, I know that the mayor and, um, you know, a lot of groups in San Antonio are really pushing hard to turn around some of the underperforming areas of San Antonio. You know, I've been to, you know, to several meetings, um, you know, with, you know, the mayor and other folks in San Antonio who, you know, who've said like, this is our goal. They have a, a multi-step, multi-year plan that they're trying to put in to attract investment, to attract more people to, you know, clean up some areas of San Antonio that have been, you know, historically underserved. Um, so I do see a lot of, you know, growth coming there as well. San Antonio is not, you know, like sexy like Austin is, um, but it is kind of a, you know, slow and steady, you know, just keeps chugging along. Um, so it's a great market for stability, I see. Um I guess that's kind of my my two cents on those two markets. Thank you. So Andrew, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Um, real estate investing's been, you know, a great experience for me, even through the ups and downs. You know, I I have a high degree of, you know, time freedom and financial freedom. You know, I, I'm still working, um, you know, which thankfully I enjoy. I really enjoy the work I do, especially in development. So, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't really feel like work to me to, you know, to do develop. Sometimes it does, you know, there, there are days when it really <laughs> work. Um, but, you know, overall, I really, I really enjoy it. You know, there's a, there's a creative process about development that I really like, you know, creating something brand new from nothing. Um, you know, it's, it's provided, you know, a lot of benefits to, you know, to my family, um, you know, and just, I, I enjoy having control over my life. It's not something that I ever really envisioned for myself or thought was possible. You know, I credit my wife a lot with showing me that that is possible. I just kind of figured when I was young that I would do what my parents did and, you know, go to college and, you know, get some job and just kind of work that throughout my life. Maybe if I was lucky, I'd be able to buy a house, um, you know, hopefully, you know, save my money and invest in the stock market and maybe, you know, have some kind of, okay retirement if I was lucky. Um, but that, you know, that really kind of all changed in my early twenties, you know, with, you know, with my wife, as we were talking about everything and, you know, she's like, no, you, you can have so much more, like, you know, here's some books to read. She had me, you know, read some books that I'm sure, you know, all of us have, you know, rich dad, poor dad, um, secrets of the millionaire mind, you know, just books like that, that got me to change my mindset, 
I mean, I've always been a hard worker. Um, so that, that hasn't been an issue for me ever, but I feel like, you know, I've really learned how to work smart in real estate as well. Um, and really leverage and leverage my time, maximize, um, you know, my investment, whether that's financial investment or time investment. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I love the fact that it's, you know, 1142 AM on a Friday and I can sit here and do this interview with you. You know, I don't have to be in an office, um, you know, or, or worry about that. You know, my kids are, um, are out, um, early from school today because, you know, it's an early release day before Thanksgiving, you know, I can go pick them up. You know, I don't, I don't have to ask anybody like, Hey, can I leave work early or whatever? I mean, I still have to work and, you know, I got stuff I got to do this afternoon, but, you know, I have the freedom to a lot of the time decide when I'm doing stuff, set my own schedule. Um, and that's, that's just so valuable to me. I, I love it so much. And I feel so fortunate to, to be in this position and and it's because of real estate. And if there is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Hmm, that's actually a tough one. Um, I guess... Huh. I feel like I should have been asked this before and have an answer, but I don't. Um, I guess to... You know, to to just get in the game. Like, don't wait. Like, I think that... I mean, you know, not to be like, don't be stupid about it. Don't just buy like whatever thing for the sake of buying something. But, you know, don't, don't worry about, you know, the market so much, you know, don't, you know, worry about, you know, the what ifs, like, as long as you do your due diligence, you run your numbers well, you know, that you have, you know, some cushion in a deal, so that if something doesn't work out, you know, you're okay. Um, You know, just just go ahead and you know, and pull the trigger and do it. You know, like I, I wasted, you know, a lot of time not pulling the trigger, you know, several years where, you know, I had, you know, analysis paralysis. I was, you know, too anxious about stuff. I was thinking, oh, don't invest now because the market's going to crash and, you know, just all of these doubts. And, you know, I'd, I'd be a lot further ahead now if I had not spent three or four years, you know, worrying about stuff before pulling the trigger, you know, on my first deals, like I made a little bit of money, but I didn't make a crazy amount of money. I wasn't financially free after one or two deals. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and like I mentioned on, on my first development deal here in Austin, I actually lost some money. Um, you know, that was a blow and, you know, conversation I had to have with my wife. She was very gracious about it, but you know, I, I know she wasn't particularly happy with me. Um, but you know, it was all a great learning experience. And so, you know, there, there's going to be ups and downs. You got to, you got to go with the ups and downs um, and just, you know, get in the game, know that there's going to be ups and downs, be prepared to stick through it. Because if you do, like there is something great on the other end, like, and, and, and remembering that can keep you going, even when you're sitting there saying like, oh my God, like 20 grand, just like went up in flames. You know, if you know that I can make that back on the next deal, that's, that's really awesome. And knowing that, there is that, you know, capability, right? Because, you know, on, on the first, like that deal I mentioned here in Austin that I lost money on, the very next deal I did, I made double the money that I had lost. So I'm like, hey, I'm still coming out ahead here. If I had just quit, you know, after that one bad deal, I never would have made it back. And and you don't necessarily have to go and earn back every single dollar. You know, the money I started with, I had saved from working, you know, long hours at low-wage jobs starting in high school. So to me, the idea of like, oh my God, if I lose, say, 20 grand, how many hours of my time was that? 
that can be really frightening to think about losing that. But then if you change your mindset and realize, wait a minute, I don't have to work, you know, whatever couple years to save that 20 grand anymore. I have a different skill set. I can go and make that back in one deal. That opens up a lot. Like you get a lot less afraid. So um, yeah, just don't be so afraid. Do your research, make sure you have a good deal. But then like, if you've got one, don't let the doubt stop you. Like pull the trigger and do it, I guess is what I would say. It's kind of long-winded, but yeah. So Andrew, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, so personally, you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Those are two platforms I use the most. Um, you know, my name is Andrew Brewer, um, and both of my companies are on uh, LinkedIn as well. So you can look those up, Iron Gall Investments and Distance 3 Development. If you want to learn more about the projects that I'm doing, um, you can visit um, either of my company's websites. IronGallInvestments.com. That's I-R-O-N-G-A-L-L Investments.com or Distance, the number three development.com. Um, I've got all my projects, my bio, um, you know, everything on there. So you can look at our projects. Um, you know, you can sign up for our investor list or reach out to me personally. I'm always happy to, you know, to chat about real estate, um, you know, or, or anything else, you know, um, whatever it is. So just hit me up and, you know, happy to chat. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me on. This was great. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.